I'm the husband of one wife, the father of one son. Life should be simple for me, but I'm somewhat of a musician. Hmm. My name is Hovig. Welcome to my podcast, Drop a Note. I will never forget my 18th birthday, for all the wrong reasons. Or maybe the right reasons, but the wrong circumstances. You may recall from previous episodes that I was born in Lebanon and practically grew up with the civil war that ravaged that country. It started when I was four and kept going until I turned 18. Actually, it continued for a further year after that, but my family relocated to Cyprus by then, so we were spared the finale, I guess. What about the frozen chicken? I hear you asking impatiently. I clicked to listen to this episode because of the title. Patience. I will get to it, I promise. Now relax and listen to my story. People often ask me about what it was like to grow up in war. How bad did it get? Could we live normal lives? Was it bad all the time? I struggle to give precise answers because my recollection of those years is hazy. Maybe because we didn't have social media, phone cameras and 24-hour news back then, thankfully. Or more likely because we had to live in a state of denial, uh, to bury our emotions, thoughts, experiences deep down inside us as a mechanism to cope with the craziness of the whole situation. But there are some specific memories that I will never forget. And one of them is my 18th birthday. And yes, yes, I have not forgotten you. Don't worry, be patient. Where was I? Ah, yes, trying to explain what it was like to grow up in war. The fighting went through different phases, sometimes intense, other times relatively calm. Geographically, the danger zones kept moving also, based on which factions were fighting against each other. Uh, yesterday's sworn enemies could suddenly become allies and comrades at arms, and vice versa. Sometimes the fighting was across clear lines of division in the city. Other times, the lines got blurred and even ran across a street, pitting neighbor against neighbor, and even brother against brother. Why all this, you may ask? Well, Lebanon is a very complicated country. It is made up of no fewer than 18 different religious sects. And the constitution, drafted by colonial power France in 1926, the constitution is based rigidly on that sectarian divide. In 1943, when Lebanon became independent of France, the National Pact Agreement prescribed, for example, that the President of the Republic was to be a Maronite Christian, the Prime Minister a Sunni Muslim, and the Speaker of Parliament a Shiite Muslim. This constitution is hopelessly outdated today, but how do you change it? As the late Robert Fisk, a veteran journalist for over 30 years' experience in Lebanon, wrote, as long as it is sectarian, Lebanon cannot become a modern state. The problem then is that without being sectarian, Lebanon will no longer exist. It's complicated, and add to this complex pot the ingredients poured in by regional and international superpowers who have vested interest in controlling this critical hub in the Middle East, 
plus the corruption of ruling families, and you may begin to understand why Lebanon was ravaged with civil war for so many years, and why it continues to be in all kinds of turmoil and uncertainty even today. I know I'm spending some time to talk about the war. It's because some of you were asking me about it, and I have not talked about it publicly much before. So there is a therapeutic aspect to it also for me. So pretend I'm talking to myself and you are just eavesdropping, okay? Okay, how bad did it really get? How dangerous was it? Well, there were basically three main dangers for us civilians back then. Snipers, car bombs, and artillery rockets. Snipers were more prevalent at makeshift divisions, crossings, and on certain roads. People would avoid those areas unless, like my grandfather, they had to drive on that road to get home. He would pray and drive. He survived the snipers. But his 18-year-old son, my uncle, was gunned down and killed in a revenge killing between two communities. Car bombs, as the term suggests, were cars filled with explosives, which were detonated to kill someone specifically or just to cause carnage and kill civilians. Not unlike what we have been seeing in the news from Iraq, Syria, or Afghanistan in recent years. Now, my mother and I had a very, very close call with one of these, just before I turned 18, in fact. Mom was driving. I was sitting next to her. We turned a corner after leaving our street and were about to join the main road. We saw a friend, a lady from our Armenian church, and we stopped to say a quick hello to her, maybe for about 15 seconds or so. Then we kept driving, turned onto the main road. There was a bakery ahead of us. We would often buy our bread there. The road was busy, many cars, and all of a sudden we felt a wave of pressure in the air and with it a huge explosion just ahead of us. I remember this massive black smoke. I don't know what else to call it. The smoke enveloped the bakery and everything in front of us. And I could see things flying everywhere in the air, very high. I remember turning to my mom, wondering for a second if we were alive. And I noticed two things. First of all, her hair. She had just washed it before we left home, so it was damp and down. But now it was standing up like it had been blow-dried and put in curlers or something, the pressure from the explosion. And secondly, I looked around and saw that our car windows were not shattered, even though I could see all the other cars around us had no windows left. I should have taken that as a sign that I would marry someone from Sweden one day. You see, our car was a Volvo. We somehow managed to turn the car around and drove quickly back home, honking the horn non-stop so that the rest of the family would know that we are alive. Many died that day, those inside the bakery and those who were passing in front of it at that exact moment. I am convinced that short hello with our friends saved our lives. A guardian angel sent at the right time. I cannot but be grateful. But if I'm honest... And I can be honest here because I'm just talking to myself, remember? I cannot but also ask, where were the other angels to protect the ones who died in front of us? Providence is great when we are the recipient of it, but it also leaves us with questions to wrestle with.
And sometimes, like the lyrics of a song that I really like, questions tell us more than answers ever do. But I should continue my story. Right, if you interrupt me one more time, I will change the title and remove you completely from this episode. Understood? Good. Okay, so to the actual day of my 18th birthday. The fighting had intensified near our home. My mom had baked a cake, but it was too dangerous to invite people over or plan a party. So we were home that evening with candlelight, because of the power cuts, when the artillery rocket shelling started again. Now you would think that rockets would be confined to battlefields, right? Army against army. But in Lebanon, the battlefields moved into the residential areas, so that distinction became blurred. The most inhumane part, though, was what we call random shelling, which basically meant the rockets were not aimed at a military base or calibrated based on intelligence of the whereabouts of the enemy fighters. It was just random, aiming at the city, at civilian homes, just to inflict as much carnage and death as possible on the other side. This was terrifying because, unlike the danger from snipers and car bombs on the streets, this meant that you were not safe even in your home. I remember we huddled together in the safest room in our apartment, the inside corridor which had the most number of walls between us and the outside. Then the entire building shook. One of the rockets must have landed next to us. We quickly moved on to the ground floor and our makeshift bomb shelter, the janitor's apartment down there. We stared there for most of the night, huddled with the other residents of our building as the bombing continued. I have a vague recollection of some version of happy birthday being sung to me and the cake being eaten during the night, but I can't be sure. The next morning, we went up to our apartment and walked through the rooms to inspect the damage. When the rocket lands and explodes, pieces of the metal, the shrapnel, break and fly in all directions. They are super hot and travel super fast. They break and penetrate anything in their way. Almost all the rooms of our apartment had been penetrated by this shrapnel. There was even one in my bed. Then when I got to the kitchen, I saw a walnut-sized hole on the door of our freezer unit above our fridge. I opened the door and searched for the shrapnel piece inside the freezer. See, there was no exit hole, so it had to be inside. I couldn't find it. I emptied all the contents of the freezer. Then my eyes rested on the frozen chicken. I looked on it, and sure enough, it had the same size hole as the freezer door. I was getting more curious now. The chicken was too frozen and hard to pry open with my hands, so I went and got a hammer and hit it hard to break it into pieces. Eventually, I got to the middle of the chicken and was able to take out the shrapnel piece stubbornly lodged in the poor animal. Now, it's interesting how we can have different reactions to things life throws at us. At that moment, with the hammer still in my hand, I started laughing. Comedy, they say, equals tragedy plus time. But sometimes, when you are in the middle of a tragedy, time stands still, and comedy just helps you get through it somehow. That, and music, of course. Which brings me 
to today's piece. Not one that I wrote at the time of the chicken story, but quite a few years later. In 1996, my good friend Daniel and I founded the Premier Group in Cyprus, a cultural society that started very small but gradually grew to become one of the main production groups on the island, presenting scores of annual concerts, events, and major musicals. Now, there are many, many fascinating stories from these productions. No doubt I will tell them in future episodes of this podcast. Today, though, I want to share Lullaby from the original musical Esther, which we initially wrote and presented in 2001, and then brought back for a very special and memorable weekend of performances at the ancient Curium Amphitheater. The story is based on the biblical account of Esther, an orphaned Jewish girl who ends up being the Queen of Persia. Until this day, the Jewish people commemorate her story every year during their Purim celebrations. In our stage version, Esther's uncle and guardian sings a lullaby called In His Care, which takes additional significance when the king's soldiers arrive at Esther's home to take her to the palace to join the king's harem. Facing uncertainty, danger, and separation, the musical motif of this lullaby tune continues and brings hope to both the uncle and Esther throughout the musical. Now, during the writing process, a team of us would meet regularly and go through the story, characters, and song possibilities. I would often start with an idea of the tune, then Daniel would write the lyrics based on that, and finally we would polish and revise and just get ready for rehearsal the next day. In His Care has this basic tune as the melody, in F minor. If you go with the obvious chords that work with that and the harmonies, it would sound something like this. Okay, it's nice, but a bit too predictable. I like to try different things, put some more effort into the composing process. So we go with these chords instead. What is the difference? If you are a composer, a writer, an artist, someone who comes up with creative content of any kind, don't settle for what is expected, what is easy, what is predictable. Try new things. Experiment. Make it interesting. That's my advice to you. Oh, and let me give you a bit of an insight. A confession. As I said earlier, the piece is in F minor. For the stage version of the song, I wanted to make a change for the third verse being sung to give it a bit of a, of a kick. So I came up with this modulation. Yeah, I liked it very much, but the problem was that it modulated the piece into the key of F sharp. And here is my confession. I hate the key of F-sharp. My mind and fingers revolt in disgust when they see it. It's a major and minor insecurity when it comes to my piano playing. I'm happy to play anything in any key except in F-sharp. So here I was, at every performance, playing the piano with the orchestra, really enjoying the experience until we got to this song, 
and the third verse modulation to F sharp. Who is the idiot who chose this key? I would ask myself. And then breathe a sigh of relief when the song was over. I guess musicians, especially somewhat musicians, are born to suffer. But more seriously, In His Care became one of the favorite numbers of the musical. And the piano version in my peaceful album has also been chosen by a number of curators to feature on their Spotify playlist this year. And one more interesting thing. The girl who played the role of Esther, both the original production in 2001 and the Curium 2007 production, her name is Christina. We discovered her as an amazing 17-year-old young vocalist at one of our talent shows just before that first production. 20 years on, Christina now lives in London and earlier this year had a baby, Athena. She sent me a video clip of her singing baby Athena to sleep. She is singing in his care. He'll protect you while you sleep. When a song is passed on to the next generation, I guess it's pretty special and likely to stay around for a while. Have a listen to it now. I'm sharing the link of the piano version in the info below, as well as the 2007 Esther musical stage version of the song. If you enjoy it, you can watch the entire musical from the Curium Amphitheatre. And if you are going through a traumatic time, maybe another type of war or something that feels like war to you, I hope today's piece brings you some comfort and inner peace. And even though I am not a dogmatic person, I am very sure of one thing. Regardless of your nationality and upbringing, regardless of your education and profession, whether you are an omnivore, a carnivore, a polotarian, a pescetarian, a vegetarian, or a vegan, I can pretty much guarantee that you will never look at a frozen chicken again without remembering my story. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Drop a Note. And I hope you tune in next time where I talk more about music and life and another composition. Until then, my name is Hovik and I am somewhat of a musician. <laughs>